0: Available on digital
1: media, iTunes podcast, smartphone apps, and from the online website. This is Outlook, the talking newspaper for Coventry.
2: Hello and welcome from me, Nigel Uh This recording of Outlook is being done on the 31st of May, 2023. And before we go any further, I apologise if my voice is not quite as good as usual. Uh, I unfortunately broke a tooth and my denture had to go and be repaired and I won't get back until later today. I will try and enunciate clearly though, never mind. So in this week's programme... Uh, Margaret is going to be visiting the Canal uh, Wharf warehouses. Uh, you may remember last week uh, we had uh, a talk by Ali about Keith and his 40 years of volunteering editor of the uh, Earlson Echo. She continues and completes that story this week. Now, McCartney and Stone uh, are builders, but McCartney and the Stones are music groups. and We'll find out how they got together a bit more and uh, patched up some of their differences. Uh, and it then completes her story of five more interesting people you may never have heard of who are significant in history. And do you hear on the radio sometimes horses coming through the studio and cars being started up? Well, they're not really there. Of course, they're done by the sound effect people. Uh, and uh, we're going to find all about the secrets of sound effects uh, from, uh, from uh, Margaret. And we're going to finish up with Dave going to a party for someone who is 102 years old and had a party at the Monday Club. But, of course, we've got also the uh, report from the centre here, your sport, your postbag, but, as usual, we're going to start with the news with Elaine and myself.
1: Outlook News.
2: Uh, I'm sure that Sarah will be covering this story about the Sky Blues playoff defeat in the sports report, but it's worth hearing some of these following sentiments. Devastated, but there are big things ahead for the Sky Blues. That's the feeling in Coventry as the city comes to terms with a devastating championship playoff final lost in a nail-biting penalty shootout. Fans and public figures from the city have taken to social media to speak of their heartbreak, but also their pride in the team and what it has brought to Coventry. People shared their pride at the scene's achievements immediately after the final penalty. And the Sky Blues will be dusting themselves off and looking ahead to next season. In a tweet shared by Coventry North West MP, the club said they were heartbroken. They added, we overcame so much and took the season to the final kick. Thank you for your support. We will rise again. Zara Sultana, MP for Coventry South, said she was absolutely gutted at the result, describing qualities as a cruel way to lose. And Craig Tracy, MP for Bedworth and North Warwickshire, said he had so much respect for Coventry City. He added, disappointment shows how far the club has come. After a few early games, getting anywhere near this position seems so far out of reach. Great management team, and sure, big things are ahead. Andy Hughes said Luton deserved the result, but Coventry had played well. Realistically, Luton finished third in the table, ten points more than than the City, so it deserved to go up in my opinion, he said. But I will also say I've been impressed with Coventry City. Good luck next season.
3: Coventry Council's political boundaries are set to change for the first time in 20 years. Areas of the city that elect councillors, known as wards, are being redrawn under a review by the Local Government Boundary Commission. City residents are now being asked to give their feedback on what this new political map could look like. The move is designed to make sure councillors represent a similar number of voters and aims to help the council work effectively, according to the commission. It comes after data showed significant differences between the city's 18 wards, resulting in unfair representation. In late 2021, Lower Stoke, Henley and Longford had over 10% more voters than the average for wards across the city. In contrast, Wobley, St Michael's, and Wainbody had over 10% less than average. It sparked a review by the Independent Commission starting in October 2022. The review was triggered due, due to six out of 18 wards being imbalanced across the city, therefore generating an unfair representation at local government elections. The council report said. In addition to this, the last electoral review of Coventry City Council was completed in 2003. The Commission is asking residents for their views on what new wards should look like. They are asking people to tell them what facilities and issues are shared between communities, whether new developments have changed the focus of an area, and if geographic features form strong boundaries between places. The Commission also confirmed the number of councillors in Coventry will remain the same at 54. This is in line with what the Council recommended in a submission to the organisation earlier this year. The report stated that each councillor represents 4,300 electors, a higher ratio than most comparable local authorities. Just under a third of councillors that the authority surveyed Feel they have enough time to carry out the role. Some only have enough time because they are retired, work part time, or have flexible jobs. However, most councillors didn't want the council to grow further, and adding more councillors would have a financial implication, the report added.
2: Two teenagers were left heartbroken after travelling to the UK for a concert and later finding out they had been scammed. Canela Luthi and Jael Marbet had flown from Switzerland after purchasing two tickets to see Harry Styles in Coventry. Excitement quickly turned into angst as the youngsters realised their tickets were invalid and began to scramble to find a way to see what the, star, the stars perform. Canella, 17, and Jill, 18, decided to reach out to the Daniel Kennel Foundation. Founder of the foundation, Mandy, stepped in to help the two girls and shared their flight on Facebook. Soon they were inundated with comments from locals trying to help them secure tickets for the show on Tuesday last week. A couple down and Suzanne Doran from Coventry selflessly gave their own tickets away to the two girls for free, which meant they were able to attend the concert at the CBS Arena. Suzanne said, It was an awful situation for them to find themselves in. I don't know how people can treat others that way. We were in a position to help, so we did, and we hope they had a lovely time. Canella said she and her friend were thankful for the kindness shown by Dan and Susanna and said we are more than thankful. It really made our day and week. Seeing Harry Styles was very important for us because we'd been fans for a very long time and we were devastated. Canella said she had an unbelievable night at the concert. It was an amazing Harry who had awesome stage presence and he really knows how to entertain the public. We had the best time ever, both of us screaming all his lyrics and even crying. Mandy said, I want to express my complete gratitude and love to Dan and Suzanne Duran, <laughs> who two truly beautiful and selfless people for giving the girls the tickets for free and wishing them an amazing time when they were there. You are very special people.
3: Affordable homes for families in Coventry have been approved despite objections from locals and more homes could be on the way. Two semi-detached houses with three bedrooms and one parking space each will be built on a patch of empty land on Forrester's Road in Charlesmoor, after the plans received full backing from councillors. The scheme is part of a project by Housing Association Citizen Housing to redevelop at least eight former garage sites in the city with affordable homes but nine residents signed a petition raising concerns about the plans, resulting in the scheme being decided by councillors last week. Several locals objected to the home's unattractive designs and looming presence, the impact on parking and traffic, and raised concerns about a loss of light and privacy. Representing them at the meeting... Charles More Conservative councillor Roger Bailey told councillors, the development will encroach on the lives of local residents. It's a cul-de-sac with only one entrance and one exit. Other concerns included the home's height, the loss of green space and the effect of construction on others living in the road. But a statement from the planning agent described the homes as much needed and revealed the development is part of a wider project in the city. Citizen Housing has identified a number of garage sites across the city that have the potential to be redeveloped for affordable housing. This site on Foresters Road is one of those sites, they said. The vacant land currently attracts antisocial behaviour, according to a review, and it is claimed development will benefit the community. We are currently building on eight former garage sites in other locations around the city to this standard and have ambitions to redevelop further sites with a multi-million pound investment in housing for the people of Coventry. The plans were unanimously approved by councillors on the planning committee.
2: And further news of the Harry Styles gig. A furious mum who was caught up with her daughter after last week's hugely popular Harry Styles gig, has branded the situation outside the Coventry uh, Building Society arena as dangerous mayhem. Dawn Butler said the situation got so overwhelming that her teenage daughter had a panic attack. The mum said that this was caused by the dangerous and extremely overcrowded way they were squeezed out of the venue with no guidance. She said they were then greeted by a closed footbridge, which meant they had to turn round into a sea of people. She said she had paid £35 to use the park and ride service to and from the rugby arena. But she said that after the gig, they were forced to abandon it due to the crowds and had to walk one and a half miles along the main road with no pavement. The Atherstone resident said so she knows there's often congestion around the venue and has been there before to see Take That Circus tour. But this time it was much worse. I do not remember it being anything similar to this event, she said. It was horrible for my 17-year-old daughter, but when you realise that there would be nowhere to go if anything went wrong, you understand how this, this claustrophobic crowding situation can prompt, panic in someone. It was really terrible. We passed several of the empty shuttle coaches on our way. These hadn't even arrived at the arena to do the, pick- to do the pick-ups. They were just stuck in the traffic, completely beyond reasoning. She has not been the only one to complain about the traffic after the gig, after some said they were left stranded until 1am in the morning. Similar concerns were aired by other fans who attended the gig. They said, The worst mm. car parking experience of my life. Still trying to get out of the car park 90 minutes after getting into my vehicle and queuing. Can't believe I had to pay £30 for this torture. Fantastic night ruined. Mm.
3: Around 500 people attempted to cover 100 miles on foot in Compton, Warwickshire last weekend as the Elephant, Bear and Bull 100 returns for its 50th year. The participants gave up on sleep to follow a cross-country circuit from Birmingham to Stratford-upon-Avon, Warwick, Kenilworth, Coventry, Meriden and back to Birmingham. Four veteran entrants were in their early 80s and 75 were over 70, while the youngest was aged 20. All entrants are members of the Long Distance Walkers Association, which chose the region to host its 50th annual 100-mile challenge. It is staged entirely by volunteers. Some runners were expected to take less than 24 hours to finish the Elephant, Bear and Bull 100, named after the symbols of Coventry, Warwickshire and Birmingham others to plod to the end just inside the 48-hour deadline. The event started at 10 a.m. last Saturday, meaning the slowest walkers had to keep going through two nights. There were 15 checkpoints serving snacks and hot meals, but walkers were retired if they stayed more than two hours. Many will have completed the annual flagship event before, some more than 30 times. The first one took place on the South Downs in 1973, and the event has been held in a different part of Great Britain every year since then, except during the foot-and-mouth crisis and during the Covid pandemic. The annual 100 was the first of its kind and paved the way for tougher challenges, such as the spine race along the Pennine Way, However, this was the first time it had been held in the West Midlands. It is usually held in popular walking areas such as the Peak District, but this year it passed through Coventry City Centre, taking in the War Memorial Park, the Cathedral and Spon Street. Lead organiser Michael Jones of Birmingham wanted to show off the region's heritage and highlight the green walking routes in Coventry. The route also passed places linked to William Shakespeare and Kenilworth Castle. Entrants were required to pass two kit checks to ensure they had safety gear. They must also have completed a 50-mile qualifying event and be able to navigate the unmarked route. Keith Warman, aged 68 from Kent, was the last to finish in 2022, and was aiming for his 32nd completion this year. He said, It's a crazy, peculiarly British thing. It's not a race, there are no prizes. It's a self-proving challenge.
2: A prehistoric fossil found in Warwickshire Quarry is set to go back on display in Coventry after extensive conservation work. The Icithosaurus, which dates back hundreds of millions of years, was discovered in 1933 in Harbury Cement Quarry. It has been part of Herbal Art Gallery and Museum's collection since the early 1960s. In 2018, a paleontologist recommended the specimen should have further work to reveal more of the fossil underneath the rock covering. Now, with the arrival of Dippy the Dinosaur at the museum, a life-size replica of a diplodocus skeleton, the Herbert found a sponsor to allow the work to be completed. It is due to go back on display as a central piece in the museum's Warwickshire Jurassic Sea display this month. Sponsor James Thomas, who donated the funds to pay for the conservation work, said, I've always been a fan of dinosaurs and prehistoric life, so was delighted when the Herbert announced Dippy was coming to Coventry. I wanted to donate to support the museum's collections and hope that the conservation work will uncover more information about the fossil. Curator Ali Wells said, I'm delighted at the opportunity to discover more about one of our specimens. Part of the creature's teeth... Eye ring and skull are visible, but the conservation work has brought it to life even more. And on top of that, there's the opportunity to have the fossil scanned by Warwick Manufacturing Group to reveal what's inside, something that was not possible when the specimen first arrived at the museum in 1961. Ictheiosauras are not dinosaurs, but sea-based cousins, also known as marine reptiles. They live in the sea and come to the surface for air. Iphthysaurus are, of course, extinct and look similar to modern dolphins, although they are not related. They hunted sea creatures such as ammonites and fish. They had large eye sockets and special bones called sclerotic ring, which helped to protect the eye from water pressure at depth.
3: Different species range from 1 to 20 metres long. A cash boost will help a Coventry-based charity support even more people. Every four hours in the UK, someone is paralysed by a spinal cord injury, according to UK's leading national spinal charity, Aspire. Aspire is one of seven charities from across the country to share in a fund of almost 1.2 million from Scottish Power Foundation for projects tackling a range of issues from cost of living support to promoting diversity and inclusion, raising awareness of the ongoing climate and biodiversity crises and addressing skills and attainment gaps in society. Aspire's aim is to help people with practical help from spinal cord injury with a wide range of services covering housing and technology, work and guidance. Aspire is the only charity based in and working in Coventry that the Scottish Power Foundation is supporting this year. Melanie Hill, Director of Social Projects and Sector Education from Scottish Power, said many local communities are benefiting from the support and it's making a difference. Alex Rankin, Director of Services at Aspire, said that spinal cord injuries can happen to anyone at any time and there is no clear demographic. You could be a 19-year-old male or female, rich or poor. It can affect anyone. When we are meeting with people in the hospitals after they have been injured, there is no set person. Our advisors have to be there for everyone.
2: People in Coventry have a burning resentment over high migration to the UK, according to a national news report. Sky News sent a reporter to the city on Thursday of last week to talk to people after recently published figures showed record net migration into the UK. The figures from the Office of National Statistics reveal that there have been a 24% rise in 2022 to 606,000 people, up from 488,000 in 2021. Sky News sent reporter Lisa Holland, a specialist correspondent in Communities, Migration and Foreign Affairs, to Coventry to see what voters thought. She told the news programme that she had encountered confusion over the differences in in asylum seekers and people entering the country and visa schemes, for example, for people from Hong Kong. But one thing she said came up again and again was concern over the impact of immigration on resources such as jobs and housing. She said there was a burning resentment among those she spoke to and the level of concern about the issue was similar to 2016 just before the Brexit referendum. The Guardian reported the high migration figures are piling pressure on Prime Minister Rishi Sunak after Conservative governments have repeatedly promised to bring down net migration since 2010. The backlog of asylum claims is also at a record high. Coventry reflected the vote across much of the rest of the country in backing Brexit in the 2016 referendum. With a turnout of 69%, 85,000 conventions voted to leave the EU and 68,000 voted to remain. Miss Holland said, honestly, walking around the streets of Coventry, it was almost like I'd gone back in a TARDIS to 2016 while talking to people. It was the same sense again, people saying, but what about the hospitals? What about our jobs? What about resources, the schools and housing? You didn't have to dig too far to get that sense from people of how much can can this country take, how many people can we take. At the end of the day, it's a small island.
3: Some major roads in Coventry will shut over this weekend as the hugely popular free event Motorfest roars back to life after four years off. Cars and bikes will be on display across the city on Saturday and Sunday the 3rd and 4th of June from exhibitions of classic cars to adrenaline-fuel motorsport. The concourse at the Cathedral Ruins will celebrate the life of Queen Elizabeth II, with vehicles dating back to the 1950s set to go on display. A sprint circuit around part of the Ring Road will be back, along with races around its pillars at Gosford Street, and a new drift area arena in a car park. Non-petrol heads can head to Cycle Fest on Saturday for mountain bike shows and a chance to pedal around the Ring Road Circuit in the evening. But the event does come with some major road closures. Almost all of the closures will be in place from 8 o'clock on Friday, June the 2nd to midnight on Sunday, June the 4th. However, a small part of Warwick Road was shut earlier from Thursday evening. Main roads closing from Friday evening to Sunday include the Ring Road, Warwick Road, Short Street, Hale Street, Manor Road and London Road. There will also be traffic management measures in Earlston to reduce the impact on local residents. Over the weekend, all public transport serving New Union Street, Greyfriars Road and Warwick Road will be diverted. The event's website says, We work hard to keep Coventry moving during Motorfest. However, certain road closures are necessary to keep the festival safe for everybody.
2: Coventry train station was tipped at the post in a quirky popularity contest, despite a comical stunt by staff. Workers at the station recorded a spoof party political broadcast to rally for votes in the annual World Cup of Stations competition on Twitter. Rail workers in Coventry used their recording to extol the virtues of their station, as well as show their support for Coventry City prior to the club's championship playoff final at Wembley last Saturday. The very sky-blue appeal contained the classic line, We're forward-thinking, we're cultured, and we just got a new Sainsbury's. It opens to the soundtrack of stirring classical music, and a female worker's plea, When voting for the World Cup of Stations, vote for the station that brings you the past, the present, and the future together. She adds... We're the home of culture, from artwork on our windows to local photography displays on our corridors. We're the home of Sky Blue Thinking, a second contributor says, whether it's our innovative £85 million station building or the mighty Sky Blues of Coventry City on their way to Wembley. The broadcast closed with an impassioned call to arms. In the World Cup of Stations, vote progress, vote culture, vote Coventry. Come on, you sky blues. However, the light-hearted recording wasn't enough to see Coventry pass its near neighbour Leamington in the Western Islands category. Leamington, which like Coventry has recently undergone a major revamp, won through to this third semi-final where it faces Kettering, Scarborough and Holtwistle.
3: Travellers who had pitched up on a Coventry green space have been evicted, the council has revealed. Caravans had pitched up on Hercel Common, again, on Monday, May the 22nd. A number of caravans and vehicles had set up camp on the land in Earlston. An eviction was carried out on the afternoon of Thursday last week. Coventry City Council confirmed that the site was cleared of any waste the next day, and officers will also be re-securing the land. A spokesman for Commercy City Council said, a successful eviction was carried out last Thursday in the afternoon. The site had to be cleared of any offending material, and will be re-secured in due course. Each unauthorised encampment costs the taxpayer, on average, at least £1,340 to remove according to figures released by Coventry City Council in 2021. Over the previous five years, the local authority has spent almost £230,000 removing unauthorised encampments in the city.
1: Outlook News
2: So, uh, that completes the local news from Elaine and myself for this week. Uh, now, as always, you can guess what I'm going to say next in the announcements. It was only a few weeks ago, I think, that we were saying, thank goodness the shortest day has passed, we're getting some lighter evenings. Well, would you believe in three weeks' time we're going to have the longest day? <laughs>
4: longest day. <laughs> 21st day. of June? a long day, doesn't it? Long day. Really well, at the
2: moment, it's at 7 minutes to 5 in the morning, the sun rises, and it does most of the and it stays around until twenty. That's oh right. Till 7, 17 minutes after nine. mate.
1: Oh That's
2: a long day, though, isn't it?
1: Yes. So Very long you know, evening. Seven
2: hours night and whatever it is, seventeen hours daylight. Lovely. Yes, yes. So, uh, with that, it's over to Joe. Hugh's not here this week, uh, and Joe has t- t- stepped in the breach. What's happening you? here? What's happening?
4: Well, first of all, let's say what a lovely tan you've got, considering oh, thank we, you. haven't, we haven't Can had much sun. of a
2: boot-polished tin. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've had a couple of weeks in Spain. Oh, uh, yes, that would yes.
4: explain things, because yes. we haven't had enough sun here, have we really, for Never. a proper tan yet, so let's hope that changes soon. Yes. Yeah, so hello everybody, very nice to be back with you. Good. Um, Hugh is indeed on a week's leave. Oh, right, he's yeah. on holiday this good. week, just having a bit of a rest good. and having a nice weekend in... Somewhere? ...North... North, Norfolk, Norfolk, oh,
5: Nor- yep, Norfolk okay.
4: Broads in that area yep. for a few days, good. I think nice. that nice, yes. so hope he's having a good time, so it's lovely to be with you all again, and now I've got a few things that we need to mention, I'm not sure how much of this you would have mentioned before, but
2: no harm in repeating, never
4: harms, <laughs> does it, so I hope it's um, still of interest, so um, some of you may use our Facebook page, or you may or may not be able to access that, but for those that do, you might have seen already both on the Resource Centre Facebook page, our community Facebook page... And the Lord Mayor's Facebook page, oh, yeah. we helped Hilda celebrate her hundred second mm-hmm. birthday, which
2: we mentioned yes, yes. yes. Well, we, Dave Monks has been talking about That's yes,
4: right. So we've got lovely pictures there, and the Lord Mayor's page also has lovely pictures there. So Hilda's had a very, uh, I hope, a very lovely week, and we're um, delighted that that all works. you was sure a visitor here, yes. Hilda comes to our Monday club every week, and every week, and Just she's also her. a stalwart member of our creative writing group. Good for her, and has been writing. Writing lovely things over the last months. 102 (laughs) years old. And her work was featured in last year's November Nights. Oh, yes, yes, yes. One of the few people whose work was read out. So, um, yes, so our congratulations. We hope you had a lovely week, Hilda, and we certainly enjoyed the mayor visiting and celebrating with you. so th- those of you that do use Facebook, keep your eyes on the Lord Mayor's page as well because I'm hoping we'll get ourselves onto that uh, page and have our reputation spoken of and uh, we'll publicised a bit appeal, more widely yes, now yep. that we are one of the Lord Mayor's chosen mm. charities. Right. So that should bring us some attention and uh, hopefully yeah. some, much some income, income <laughs> I would like to think, as well. Yes. Um, now, on to other things... Um, I've had some information on a couple of things that might or might not be of interest. If you are interested, please talk to one of us here at the centre. The first is, I had an email from a young woman, I think, who is called Beth, and she must be a girl guide, I think, working on the Queen's Guide Award. She has chosen to do some research around access to sport and physical activity for people with a visual impairment.
3: Interesting. Which I think is very interesting. Yeah, interesting. She, um, needs
2: talk, she needs to talk to, uh, to our own young lady Sarah doesn't she? She probably does. Sarah does sports report and of course is visually impaired too.
4: Yes and our bowls group and yes, there is a right. the yoga group yep, here as yep. well. Um, what they're asking for is for people to send back a questionnaire that she sent to us. So if people would like to give their opinion and they want to do it in this particular research project then um, it might be that we can uh, help you with the application form here or we can send it on to you, send you the link if you are using a computer so do ask one of us um, if you're interested in a bit more giving your opinion on that subject I um, don't know what the outcome of it is going to be, she doesn't say but um, no doubt they will come back to us about what their conclusions are And then the second thing I've heard through uh, the regional um, organisation that we link into, this is the National Federation of the Blind of the UK. They're doing an emergency petition about proposed changes to local radio. Which you may be, behind. ah, um, yes, yes. So they're co- concerned about how changes to BBC local radio might reduce. I don't know how it's affecting
2: here. Do we do? Have we heard how it's going to affect Coventry?
4: Actually, no, no. I mean, they're, they're saying we've got this. I've printed off for myself this long, detailed explanation of why they're concerned. They are saying that they're asking them not to make changes to BBC radio shows. Um, I think their concern is that. BBC is going to combine and condense regional programmes rather than so local ones. Far,
2: far less local news. Sounds exactly. like the risk. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Uh, I'm not an expert on what's going on here, but it does sound like they are worried about that. Yeah. And they are worried that um, they will only broadcast live on far fewer programmes. Mm. Um, so it does sound like it could reduce. The amount of local news access that people yes. get, and yes. uh, maybe even the variety that people get as well. So, uh, I think what they're asking is for charities like us who support blind and visually impaired people to sign up to their petition. Because so I mean, so the,
2: the, the blind and visually impaired. Hmm? are much more radio than so most other people Yeah,
4: it's yep. a real lifeline, isn't it? Mm. I mean, mm. lots of my friends use radio whether they're visually impaired or not. So yes, quite. I do. Quality yeah. of local radio is really yes, important. Yes, it is. Case yeah, it. absolutely. So I will get you
3: to sign us up to that Good. as an organisation. And we lose enough local things. It gets taken yeah. over by national bodies yeah. and yep. you lose the local stuff you do which you use
4: is the detail don't yeah. you
3: yeah it does matter and obviously you fill a gap here
4: I know but um, well, it's still important okay. that the BBC are the ones producing it yep um, the other thing is a, an open day held by adult social care part of the carers week this year um, they are doing an open day on June the 6th Tuesday June the 6th between 10 and 2 in Spon End, at the Bethel Church in Spon End. It's, I think it's the Free Church building down there, right. number three to nine, Spon End. It's an open day for anyone who wants to attend. Uh, you can find out more about what adult social care services are, what your availability might be, either for you or for someone you care for. So if you've got any concerns or want to just find out a bit more about what wider services are provided by social care, that's an opportunity um, so there might be people out there who are supporting loved ones as well. Yep. June, June the 6th, yeah? June the 6th. You yep. don't need to book. You can just turn up between 10 and 2. Good. So that's those. Yep. And then a bit more close to home. Um, well, a few things going on, really. Uh, one is, just on a very practical note, uh, the garden handrails in the back garden at the resource centre. Ah, mm, they've been done, have they? We are busy doing them ah. as we speak. Right. Um, mm. So the... Um, The working party that came in on the 18th of May, Coventry Building Society, have painted half of the timber we need, and they got on very well doing that, so we probably need to paint a bit more, but we've got most of the timber prepared, and Geoff, aided by Pete Vaughan, are now busy taking off the old handrails and putting the new ones up. And we've chosen to go with a rather, what they call, dazzling yellow cuprinol it's colour.
2: one of the best colours to see, isn't it? For yeah. i mm, Yeah. yeah. The,
4: they were red previously, which That's I know right. red and yellow are both helpful. Yep. Rosie said she could see the yellow, so we thought it was good enough for Rosie. then we we'll, Why have
2: a change? We're hoping
4: it'll be good enough have for a Have a change. Have a change. It looks very nice, I good. think. Um, they're still halfway through the job, so by the summer should be nice and tidy out there and uh-huh. yes yeah, <laughs> we have one June <laughs> <in> the first <laughs> tomorrow I,
2: I like optimism I like
4: optimism so yes so we're nearly there with that so that's a good job that will be completed soon and we are adding a handrail at the back of the resource centre along the left side of the Marybill room Yes. so that people that have guide dogs we're asking them now to make sure they use the spending area for the dogs at the yes. back of the Marybill room right. and we're adding a handrail in the that might mm. assist people in finding their way there. Mm. Um, summer Garden Party is coming up, 22nd of July. Uh, so we are putting out an appeal generally for people to contribute, some bowler gifts, nearly new, raffle prizes, whatever you might have that you think is of good enough quality, um, still in date, obviously, uh, that we can um, add to our uh, collection of things there. I'm hoping to get some large raffle prizes from a local store as well so i'm working on that one what time will that be well that's a good question it's usually eleven to three isn't it Mm. i'll have to confirm that Mm. Uh, it'll be whatever time we usually yeah. do, but I can't it's remember uh, right now.
2: It's what, two months off, isn't it? Well, some, yeah. some
4: weeks or so. Some weeks. Thank you for trying to get prepared for we're it. We're trying yeah. to get
3: prepared, so yep. we'll let you know the finer details. For many years it has been in glorious sunshine. I uh, know it has, hasn't it? Mm. Last year it was. Mm.
4: Yes. you were out there in the tents, it was so mm, hot, you had to sit in. in the shade. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you never know then. Cross fingers. <laughs> and I think oh. the other thing, just finally, which you might have mentioned, that we've got some new team members coming in to join the team here oh this is all part of the, the, the yes. your, your expansion um, programme yeah so we can now certainly mention the names uh, Claire Norman is already here helping to replace Guy Guy's yes. host Guy's now left as everybody knows yep. much to our regret um, but Claire is stepping in there to organise the minibus transport and the volunteers to drive the minibuses so bear with us whilst we get them trained in and uh, she gets used to all the little details that matter um, Carl, who most people know from driving the minibuses, he's going to be helping us a bit more, so he will be here doing a few hours a week and making sure the buses go to the garages when they need to and are properly maintained, mm. whilst we still continue to think about how we recruit somebody to the job. And then the other two new members of staff, Chris Norman, will be joining us, and so will Coody Santana. They'll be joining us in the first week of June, 5th of June onwards, for three days each a week. Chris's, Chris's job will involve um, working much more with you on our programmer services. Um, Coody will be doing a lot of outreach work, going out into Coventry trying to reach people we don't reach now. And they both, and uh, the team as a whole, will be trying to do a lot more one on one advice work, supporting mm-hmm. individuals with housing, financial, whatever oh. more detailed needs they yeah. might have. Yeah. Like, yeah so welcome nice. them when they Absolute, join us and yes. uh, they will hopefully come around and chat to everybody and we'll find out what really they goes come on
2: they're coming here if they're here absolutely they could and yes. explain a bit more what they're doing yeah yes
4: yeah, good, good. Yes. excellent that's it thank you very much thank everybody.
2: you and Hugh's back next week I, Hugh's back I guess next
4: week, and no doubt you will hear him on the radio next time
2: right. okay thank you very much thank you Joe. thank you and now, as usual, it's Sarah with this week's sports report.
1: Outlook Sport
6: Hello, listeners. I'm afraid it is very sad, Sarah, today. In fact, I'm not going to bring you a normal sport in, as a mark of respect to the almighty Sky Blues were defeated at Wembley on Saturday, losing on penalties. Hey ho. So instead, I'm going to read you a little story that I wrote. It's called The Diary of a Neurotic Football Fan, aged 58 and 11 12 So here goes It all began so well This is the entry by the way For the 27th of May 2023 It all began so well I got up as normal Nice bright sunny day Came downstairs Fed the cats Had the coffee And then I put the radio on there are now just nine hours till kickoff. I don't want to know it yet. Please give me a few days, Grace. Anyway, I soon turned the radio off and decided to go to the gym and take out my nerves on some of the equipment there. That all went well. Got back. Listen to Classic FM Surely there'll be no mention of the game on that There wasn't At 3.30 I switched over to CWR Where I knew that the sports commentators were taking over Yes, I can cope with that Switching on an hour and a quarter before kickoff. Anyway I did as I'd done during the Middlesbrough games Middlesbrough you may remember we played in the semi-finals And I went upstairs and I carried on tidying my summer clothes Coventry had clearly not woken up in the the first half Or they got the most dreadful stage fright Particularly poor old Gustav O'hamer. He couldn't seem to kick a ball correctly Oh gosh, Luton have scored This was not the script Oh no, they've scored again Oh, thank heavens for VAR The video assistant referee That goal was disallowed Thank you, Ra I'm a great fan of yours Roll on half time Anyway, it was clear at half time That being upstairs was not working So I went to plan B Which is go downstairs into my front room Right, come on Come on, Robbins Give the team a good talk I can't stand this anymore, I need a coffee, I've sat here for 15 minutes of the second half and it's still 1-0 to them. Go and make coffee. Come back in to hear commentators saying, oh and it's gone to VAR. Oh no, they've scored again, but no. We've scored Gus Hamer Picking up on a pass from Victor I spell it with a G Jokeres Woo Var passes it 1-1 In the 66th minute 66 was always a special number in football Anyway A few minutes later Hamer was injured He had physio on the pitch and continued for a few minutes more. But eventually he had to go off and the poor lad was in absolute tears. Never mind, on comes sub Casey Palmer. Wow, he's doing really well. I think he's going to be a good one for the future. Oh no... He's been substituted as injured. Oh, I can't stand this anymore. I'll go up my garden. I've got to keep moving. I know, I'll walk around the house. So, I'm up the garden and then my phone goes ping. I have it set for automatic pings when goals are scored. Rush back in so I can read it with my glasses on. Oh no, 2-1 to Luton, and there's about 2 minutes to go! Bing! Goal disallowed Yes! I don't think I have ever been so happy Now there were 8 minutes of injury time in the first half due to an injury to one of their players who was taken to hospital and there are eight minutes of injury time in the second half oh right we're going to extra time so I am going to keep walking I can't stand this and when I go out the room to make the coffee we score Well, 34 minutes of pacing up and down my house later, it was still 1-1, and it goes to penalties. I can't stand this. I turn the radio off and go up my garden, and I keep hearing the regular bings as goals are scored. Now, just across the railway line from me, I have a railway line at the bottom of my garden. I could hear a little girl screaming, go! Come on, city! Go! And then she shouted, we've won! So I rushed back into the house. Only to find she changed allegiance very quickly, because it was Luton who'd won. Unfortunately, our sixth goal, our sixth shooter, Fankaty Darbo, had put it over the net, and it was all over. Luton have gone up. Oh well, Fankaty. Great things can come you know of people who miss penalties in famous tournaments Just think what happened to the guy who missed the penalty in the 96 European Championship semi Against Germany Gareth somebody Oh yes Gareth Southgate And he's now the England manager Hey ho Still, at least following the results yesterday, we've got a great local derby against Leicester. Yeah! And you know what? This has made me very determined to bite the bullet and go back to the arena. So, that's all for your sport this week. And it'll be a more normal coverage next week. I hope. Bye!
2: Thanks, Sarah, for the report, and from sport, we turn to Dave with your postbag.
1: This is Postbag. Join in the discussion.
0: Hi there, and welcome to your postbag. It's a two-way communication thing, so it's lovely to hear from Julia, with a report entitled, This is Feedback. No, I don't mean that horrible whistling noise that comes when the microphone is too loud. I mean saying thank you to people on CBS. The first person I'd like to thank is that nice Graham whale who supported my idea of people introducing themselves in group settings so we all know who is there. He also spoke about R and I B Connect, which I get on my Alexa. It has good news about gadgets that you can get. I like Peter White on Radio 4, but I think he's been given the sack. Then there's good old Sarah Lewis. She said that the bus won't tell you which bus stop is coming up because the driver turns it off. That's not fair. How can I tell where to get off? Whenever I get on the bus, I make everybody introduce themselves then they can all tell me what the next stop is. So, that is why I like CBS and David Monks. I especially like the stories on CBS. My friend John says the best ones are the ones I write to postpone. Thank you, CBS. I love you. Julia. Thank you, Julia, so much. I like your stories the best too, but don't tell anybody. I don't know what's happened to Peter White. Do you? I interviewed him once at an annual get-together of the Talking Newspaper Federation in Leamington. This is where he talks about getting into radio. Did he go straight into broadcasting? <laughs>
7: uh, I went to university. I was going to do law. I yeah. didn't enjoy it. I, so I hitchhiked down to Southampton when they were starting... Their local radio station and yeah. uh, talked my way in. didn't have a didn't have an appointment uh, because I tried all that and all you got were rejections if you contacted people and said you were blind. So I just hitchhiked down and turned up and was right. lucky enough to. Although I was told yeah. to go away and wait for them to call me, I was lucky enough that somebody who had who was going to produce the blind the program for blind people. Uh, on radio, so that saw me trudging rather dejectedly. I have been told to go away. Uh, yeah. rang me up and said, uh, "Would you like to come down and talk to, talk to me about doing a program for yeah. blind people?" I went down. I didn't want to do pro- didn't want to do a program for blind people. Yeah. I wanted to do, do programs for everyone about news, about sport, yeah. about all the things I was interested in. But it got my foot in the door.
2: Wonderful. And that was it,
7: yeah. really. Peter gave a talk at
0: the meeting, where he started off by saying, We're an awkward lot, blind people. You ask us what we want and we don't tell you, and then we complain because you don't give us what we want. You're not like that, are you? Feel free to tell us what you want, and I'll pass it on. Edwina tells you what you might need to know, like a tip to open those ring pulls on tins.
5: Hi everybody, it's Edwina. It's a tip today, which I hope will help some of you. I have had difficulty with opening tins at the moment because I have the carpal tunnel syndrome, which means that I don't use my right hand at the moment and I'm right handed. But I've found a new method of opening the tin. I so wanted to have red lentil soup, which has got the pulled top, but I couldn't pull the top open, obviously. So what I did was to get a wooden spoon and I pushed the handle through the loop and used the spoon to leave it open and then I would able to keep my soup up and enjoy it. So maybe if any of you I hope you haven't got a difficulty, but if any of you have got a difficulty that is a method of opening those tin the you pull loop.
0: Thank you, Edwina. You can get a device to help you open wing pulls on tins, particularly if you have difficulty in using your hands, and even if you don't. It's shaped a bit like Captain's Hook's hook, <laughs> if you know what I mean, and then you leave or you put the end of it in the wing pull, and then you lever off the whole tin lid. Now, it was lovely to hear from Amy when she phoned up recently. She wants to tell you about a recent song she sang with her choir, The Harmoniers, which she talks to you about.
1: Uh, we recorded a version of Michael Jackson's Earthside Last Night. On uh, the recording, you hear everybody singing solo bits and you, so you hear me and my teenage both singing solo bitch.
0: And Amy's line in this excerpt from Earth Song is We're Ravaging the Seas. What a Thank you, Amy. Amy and the Harmonious will be singing the full song at a free event called Low Carbon Leamington at Cubbington Village Hall, Broadway Cubbington CV 32 7 lp on June the 3rd between 10am and 12.15. I'm recording this postbag earlier in the week, as I'm going to Sheffield with Graham for the weekend. We're going to a gig on Friday night with entertainer Julian Jones at a venue we went to with Sheila. And I'm presenting on Saturday a photograph of my grandad with his magic tricks to a cafe in Encliffe Park where he gave his Punch and Judy shows. One of my granddad's Punch and Judy shows in the bandstand in the park was witnessed by Tony Folds, who tends the grave of the ten American Air Force servicemen in a stricken plane who died avoiding Tony and his friends playing in the park, crashing into the woods across the stepping stones where I used to play when visiting relatives, and still do. There was a televised flyby organised by presenter Dan Walker at the time Sheila had a stroke. There's a folk song about the war damaged plane called Mi Amigo. Have you heard it? Thank you if you missed us this week and hope very much to hear from you next time. Bye for now.
1: This is Outlook. You can contact Postbag.
0: Our website is
1: www.talkingnewspaper.org.uk Our email address is postbag at talkingnewspaper.org.uk Join in the discussion on Postbag.
2: Dave there with your Postbag for this week. Now, the canal basin makes for an interesting visit, especially since the major improvements now, of course, many years ago. Uh, And among the features are the canal warehouses, the subject of this week's significant architectural buildings in Coventry, read by Margaret. In
8: 1768, a contract was drawn up by Coventry Canal Company to dig a canal between Coventry and Fradley. James Brindley was appointed its engineer. On the 10th of August 1769, the first boatloads of coal came into Coventry from the Bedworths coal fields, cheered into the basin by thousands. The buildings around the basin in Bishop Street were constructed in 1788 by Coventry Canal Company. These consisted of coal bunkers, warehouses, a way bridge and canal house, the centre of administration now demolished. The large warehouse on the city centre site was rebuilt in 1914 and bore the words Grand Union Warehouse. This title dated from 1930 when the Grand Union Canal Carrying Company acquired the buildings. It was restored in 1995 by Coventry City Council who developed artist studios, offices and craft shops here. The initial ambitions to hold regular uh, events weren't maintained and despite its attractiveness it doesn't have too many businesses now. Um, Sometimes there's a popular bar and music venue open in the coal bunkers called The Tin.
2: And next week, Margaret will start the story of Holy Trinity Church, uh, which will continue into the following week. You remember in our last programme, Ali started talking about Keith, a volunteer and editor of the Earls and Echo for 40 years, and now concludes that story with Keith also finding time to contribute to our own Outlook programme.
9: Gail Chick, an early former member of Echo, who has subsequently returned to the team, went to school with Keith for the first few years. She would sum him up as being loyal, diligent, nitpicking, memory-like an elephant, dry sense of humour and a diplomat. The sort of person you want on your side in the pub quiz. Head full of facts, but sensible, so don't get drunk. Keith also met his wife, Ali, that's me, at Echo's 21st birthday party at the Royal Oak in April 2000, though she was actually there on a date with someone else. Yes, that's true as well. Keith and Ally actually had their first official date the next day, which was prearranged. Ali remembers. I went back home and thought, oh well, that guy wasn't for me. Maybe my next date will be nicer, and he was at least coming to my house to pick me up. The next night there was a knock on my door, and it was Keith. It wasn't until we went to the pub that it dawned on us where we were the night before. When he took me back home, he stayed for a cuppa and we chatted for four hours non-stop. Three years to the date of our first meeting at Echo, we got married. Our wedding day even made the Echo 2003 edition. In a bout of undercover journalism, we secretly obtained Keith's memories of Echo. He remembers using cow gum, a thickish but peelable paste to seal the typewritten sections of text in place for its early issues, and lecture set for the headlines, which enabled the use of different fonts. Echo wasn't computerised till 1991, despite computerisation being first suggested in 1983. Keith got into Echo from his interest in public transport. He recalls, I got into an interesting correspondence with my then MP John Butcher. I was very interested in bus services, as I didn't have a car. I responded to a campaign, and we exchanged a few letters, and I thought, this is quite interesting. I wish I could write something about it. He saw the advert for Echo asking for more volunteers, and thought, I could do that, and the rest, as we have said, is history. His first piece in the April 1983 issue was part of a campaign to get a Pelican crossing but it took two more years, till 1985 for The Crossing to materialise. Reflecting on what kind of articles he's most liked writing, he found it interesting interviewing people, commenting, There have been very few people I've interviewed and come away thinking, well, you were a disappointment. Everyone has got a story to tell. He also added, Some of the book reviews I've recently enjoyed doing because I've enjoyed the original book and then like the writing about it, and reliving that experience. Other highlights, he recalls, are the two-term trail articles on Frank Whittle, public transport and features on pubs, which he sees as a labour of love. He also ponders on the history articles he's been involved in. Historical stuff is always interesting, because it is staying interesting with the passing of time, but with current issues, you don't know if anyone will care about them in a year's time. On this page, there are various pictures of Keith, one from the 1984 Christmas team photo and another one from the 1983-84 issue with members of the team and another one from December 1989 with again members of the team. The final page of the four-page article about Keith has lots of photographs in it. There's one of me and Keith on our wedding day. And it was a family affair because my brother took the photograph. There's also another one of the Echo team at the Earlsden Library in 1997. There's a picture of Anne, Anne Groves and Keith in May 2022. And the final article on this page is called Diary of a Chapelfield Cat. And it was written, yes, written by our cat Lenny. And he says this about his dad. Can I start off by saying that this column has been a long time in coming. For 22 years, the Bushnell cats have been lobbying for our own column, and each time we've been refused. I am Lenny, and I am cat number six to make the request, and thanks to the kindness of the Echo team, I have finally got my wish. What can I say about my human, Keith, that hasn't already been said before? He is a very caring person, looks after us and our mummy and fits in playing with us around his echo work he's working on his laptop so much that i have to try and find space on his knee and put up with being used as a desk underneath is a photograph of lenny the cat sitting on keith's lap and indeed the laptop is on lenny's back but lenny doesn't mind at all he's fast asleep lenny continues daddy works on echo a great deal and is always talking to people on the phone who ring him up asking questions about deadlines and stories. Every time he walks into the kitchen to answer the phone, me and my sister Lara follow him in, in the hope he will give us some biscuits or a sneaky pouch. I am an indoor cat, and my daddy got me from a cat charity, Coventry Cats Protection, as an eight-year-old, in need of a home and he even got a nice man called Builder Dave to make me my own home at the back of the house so I can get some fresh air. It's called a catio. He also adopted another cat, so I had somebody to play with, but she's a lot younger than me and keeps knocking all his echo papers off his chair and often his pens as well. It keeps him on his toes. So happy 40th anniversary of working on Echo Daddy, and I hope this is the first of many columns. Paws
2: if I said McCartney and Stone, you might quite rightly think about the company that builds retirement homes, but I'm talking about McCartney and the Stones, the Rolling Stones, the enduring entertainers uh, and old rivalries being set aside as they collaborate to heal a long-time rift. This was written by Ed Power and is read by Sue.
10: It's the Macca and Mick loving we didn't know we needed. Music fans have been taking a deep breath following news that Paul McCartney has played bass on a track for a new Rolling Stones album. After a rivalry spanning the entire history of rock and roll, the Beatles and the Stones are, after a fashion, getting together in the studio. What next? A Taylor Swift Kanye West duet? Blur and Oasis recording a Christmas single together? McCartney has been confirmed as guesting on bass for one song on The Stones' next record. Alas, reports that Ringo Starr attended the same sessions have proved wide of the mark. The Beatles-Stones rivalry is cemented into the foundations of rock. It was the original musical BEEF, a template for every music feud to follow. It's also an early example in popular culture of the myth eclipsing reality. Lest we forget, the Beatles and the Stones have already squeezed into the same recording booth. In 1967, McCartney along with John Lennon graced the Rolling Stones track we love you. But the enmity that occasionally flared up between these two juggernauts of British pop was all too real. Two years ago, McCartney dismissed the Stones as a blues covers band, a disc that will have stung because it contained a splinter of truth, the Stones having indeed begun as a blues covers band. The toxicity has flown both ways. In 2015, Stones guitarist Keith Richards slammed Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, said by some to be one of the greatest LPs ever recorded, as a mishmash of rubbish. The rivalry is deep in the DNA of both the Beatles and the Stones. The Beatles always felt the Stones had based their career on that of the Liverpudlians, with their disposable earlier work followed by more ambitious conceptual albums. The Stones' 1967 opus Their Satanic Majesty's Request was, for instance, called out by Lennon as a rip-off of Sgt Pepper. I would like to just list what we did and what the Stones did two months after, on every... mm -mm, album. Every... mm -mm, thing we did, Mick does exactly the same. He imitates us. Satanic Majesties is pepper, he told Rolling Stone magazine. Lennon went as far as to taunt the Stones in his lyrics. I roll a stony... Well, you can imitate everyone you know, he sang on Let It Be's Dig a Pony. And with that, the diss track was born. At one level, we should, of course, disapprove of all this name-calling and musical stink-eye. Rock and roll is a huge canvas. There is room for two pioneering bands. On the other hand, the rivalry has brought extra spice to the stories of both groups. It also paved the way for all the rivalries to follow. Blur versus Oasis was, in particular, dreamed up by Blur as a postmodern twist on the Stones versus the Beatles. Britpop's defining moment was a glorified Beatles-Stones cover. Plus, without the feud, we wouldn't be able to enjoy Jagger and McCartney, now very much at the business end of old age, burying the hatchet so publicly. It's a lesson to us all. If McCartney can play bass on a Rolling Stones track, then surely any of us can make the first steps in healing a rift in our own lives. Plus, the fact that the Stones and the Beatles are still making headlines in their 70s and 80s, is a reminder that old age isn't what it used to be. What a hugely comforting thought it is that, into our 70s and beyond, all of us can hope to keep on rocking, rolling and, yes, burying hatchets. Elaine last week
2: introduced you to some characters in history with whom you may not have been very familiar. Now she concludes with a further five characters you may not even have heard of.
3: Nathaniel Troughton, character number six. In life, Nathaniel Troughton was much admired for his work as a doctor, in helping to found Coventry's first hospital. But his legacy now lives on much more as a skilled chronicler of the mid-Victorian city he knew. Born in Hampshire into a family with strong Coventry connections, Troughton and his wife Augusta moved to the city in 1826, settling at 11 Priory Row, close to Holy Trinity Church. He set up practice as a doctor, and mindful of Coventry's appalling state of public health, was among those driving a campaign to set the city's first proper hospital, in a house in Little Park Street in 1840. He became a trustee, secretary, fundraiser, and one of three house surgeons at the new Coventry and Warwickshire Hospital, later rebuilt on a much larger site in Stony Stanton Road. When he wasn't engaged on medical matters, Troughton liked to rise at four or five in the morning in summer and go out with his sketchbook making pencil drawings of Coventry's prolific medieval buildings. His volumes of pencil sketches, more than a thousand in number, were presented to the city in 1892, more than 20 years after his death. They showed a post-medieval city, many of his ancient buildings and architectural treasures lost, long before the devastation that the Luftwaffe inflicted on Coventry. Number seven, Mary Eves. By the time of her death in 1875, midwife Mary Eves had safely delivered a staggering four thousand four hundred and thirty eight babies. The illiterate wife of a ribbon weaver from Spon End over a thirty five year career. Mary was clearly trusted to minister to the city's poor and its wealthy alike. The records show many repeat customers from all walks of life. Sworn in as a midwife in July 1849, Mary, herself a mother of seven, averaged an astonishing 200 births a year. In one year, 1857, she delivered 286 babies, and on one day, January 13, 1865, she attended to five different women, all in different locations. Where Mary acquired her midwifery skills isn't known, although there's a clue in the 1841 census which reveals that her neighbour, an older woman named Elizabeth Roberts, was a midwife. A hundred years before the NHS, with health care still primitive, it was often the case that skills were passed on in this way. Whatever the source of Mary's expertise, there must have been many who had good reason to mourn her passing when she died from bronchitis in December 1875 at her home in Spon Street. Character number eight. William George Fretton Antiquarian and schoolteacher William Fretton was instrumental in raising the profile of Coventry's medieval history at a time when the study of the past and archaeology was in its infancy. Born in Coventry in 1829, he succeeded his father as headmaster of Catherine Bailey's school in 1856 introducing his pupils to a number of innovations, notably a library, a band, drawing classes and excursions. In the mid-1870s, during major renovations to St John the Baptist Church in Spon Street, he was instrumental in highlighting the building's historic fabric so that it could be preserved. A decade later, he was prominent in the campaign to keep the old grammar school in Hale Street from being sold to an American businessman who wanted to ship it to the United States. Threaten compiled many reports on local treasures for institutions like the Society of Antiquaries and also edited Thomas Sharp's monumental book on the history and antiquities of the city of Coventry. When he died in 1900, civic figures and former pupils in large numbers Turned out to pay their respects to a man whose love of his native city's past knew few bounds. Character number nine, Sydney Bunny. As a chronicler of Coventry of his day, Sydney Bunny had few equals. More than 500 paintings and drawings, now held by the Herbert Art Gallery and Museum, cover the city's landmark historical buildings, architectural details, street scenes and open spaces and they are still regarded by architects and historians as an accurate record of Coventry as it was in the first three decades of the 20th century. Born in 1877 in Paynes Lane where his father worked in the ribbon industry Bunny became a student at Coventry School of Art as a teenager and in 1899 secured a place to study at the South Kensington Art School, now the Royal College of Art. Up until 1913, his output was small, but while working in the arminance industry during the First World War, Bunny spent almost every minute of his spare time sketching and painting his home city. For the rest of his life, he carried a pad of watercolour paper with him, so that he could sketch whatever caught his eye, and colour it later when he got home. Many of his paintings served as a social record of the streets he knew, and Bunny himself had a strong social conscience, setting out his views in a hardback exercise book on subjects as varied as poor housing in the city and the politics of the general strike. He was still sketching and painting Coventry right up to his death in 1928. And the final character is Charles Walter Hathaway. Siegfried Bettman may have founded the Triumph Company, but it was his legendary works manager Charles Hathaway who made it work. Born in London, the son of a piano manufacturer, Hathaway moved to Coventry in 1890 and after a short spell in the watchmaking industry joined Triumph. He made an instant impact and was credited with simplifying the construction and improving the mechanical efficiency of the firm's products. Alongside his gifts as an engineer and factory organiser, Hathaway possessed a genius for man management, and over the next 25 years became one of Coventry's most admired managers. When he died in July 1915, at the early age of 51, Thousands lined the streets to pay their respects to his funeral procession as it passed on its way to the London Road Cemetery. Tragically, his son Sidney, an observer in the Royal Flying Corps, was killed in France just six months later and they are buried in the same grave. I'm sure when
2: you listen to, say, maybe a play on the radio and hear various sounds, you don't really think there's a horse trotting through the studio or a car engine being started. They're all created by sound effects people, as Margaret explains in this article, taken from the Radio Times, written by Sarah Anglis.
8: Next time you enjoy a TV or radio drama, savour the sounds of the soldier's heavy footsteps, the rustle of stiff cleanling dresses, or the rhythm of an angry knock at the door Many of these sounds were added after the shoot by sound designers Artists who obsess about every sonic detail that evokes the location, actions and mood of a scene from an engine throb to the sizzle of eggs frying in a pan Sound design is a peculiarly anonymous art Done well, it heightens any drama or documentary Yet the best designers pride themselves on making any scene feel so convincing you'd barely know they've been at work at all Foley is the art of creating sound effects by performing them live And when I met Foley artist Ruth Sullivan, she showed me how to use crumpled cellophane wrapping to conjure the sounds of an open fire by delicately moving and squeezing it between her fingers. A flap of heavy canvas added a sudden gust of flames. Sound designers, like Ruth, have a scavenger instinct. Even a journey to the supermarket is a potential scouting exercise for sounds. When Star Wars sound designer Ben Burt needed the roar of a spaceship taking off, an expensive trip to White Sands Missile Testing Ground in New Mexico yielded nothing promising. But that evening he endured a night in a motel with a dodgy aircon. After some deft processing in his studio, this annoying noise became the engine roar he'd been seeking all along. My own triumph was discovering a beaten-up office cabinet in the corner of a music practice room. To my delight, the door opened with a Hellish juddering squeak, a sound I replayed at quarter speed and Reused in endless ways in a play set in a steel ship rolling at sea The power of sound effects and the recipes for making them Wasn't lost on the makers of the first BBC radio dramas as part of our research the programme sound designer and historian Dan Wilson introduced me to a top secret BBC document from the 1930s, the earliest days of broadcasting. It contained recipes for creating the sound of everything from steam trains to coal cutting machines. These secrets were so carefully guarded. Only individuals sanctioned by the station director himself were allowed to read it Those early BBC radio drama makers already recognised the potency of sound effects To do far more than fill in the blanks of a scene Sound evolves mood as much as realism The hum of a neon light can make a room feel calm cold, sad or foreboding. Sound designers have always used sound as a means to be playful or poetic and to add subtext to a story. In a cloying parlour scene, for example, a sound designer might subtly exaggerate the squeak of the man's starch collars evoking a feeling of people as trapped in their situation as they are buttoned up in their outfits. Philosopher Ophelia Darby has an interest in the power of sound to evoke new sensations of shape, smell and flavour. This is a fascinating research area stale crisps won't taste quite so stale if we hear a satisfying crunch when we eat them in an experiment reported in 2015 Darby and her colleagues showed how these correspondences could influence our perception of our own body weight researchers doctored the sounds of people's footsteps as they walked around and lifted objects these sounds were replayed to the walkers via headphones when the footsteps were made higher in pitch people tended to feel they had more energy and were lifting their legs more easily imagine that sound design that to make you feel lighter on your feet.
2: Clever people, these sound effect engineers. Not many of us will live to the ripe old age of 100, yet alone 102, which Hilda has recently achieved, and celebrated this special occasion with a party at the Monday Club, where Dave joined in the festivities. Well,
0: it's uh, Hilda Hill's 102nd birthday, and we're having a celebration at the Monday
7: Club.
11: Well, I, I, I was born in Birmingham, and I, I was born in my grandmother's house, which we didn't have any electric light, we had no bathroom, we had, well, was a kitchen across the yard, and it was very, very ordinary, very... Commonplace at that time. I'm not saying that there wasn't electricity because there was, but we moved when I was five uh, into a brand new um, council house and oh, had a bathroom, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> even though we had to light the geyser. And then when I was seven, we came to Coventry and mm-hmm. I went to Stoke School. Uh, I was there till I was 14. And then I had to go to work,
1: mm-hmm. and
11: I worked in an office well I worked in several offices until i was until I got married actually at twenty seven <laughs> um, and then I had three daughters, uh, and then my husband died when he was only fifty seven okay. so i 've been on my own ever since. Mm. When I, when I was nearly 50 I started a new career as a travel consultant oh. <laughs> and I did that for 20 years mm-hmm. and we had an office in Canilworth and one in Warwick eventually and Beverly brought me this morning that's my youngest daughter she took that over and um, she solved it about ten years ago, so we neither of them, neither of us, in that business now. Um, a lot of things have changed, of course, over 100 years. i uh, say so we didn't have electricity, we didn't have hot water, um, n- no central heating. The place was just heated with one small fire. Um, I went to a school some years ago to talk to the young children they were a bit too young really to take it in um, but they asked me to go to tell them what it was like when I was at school um, and one little boy said what did you watch on television <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
11: Yeah. Uh, and he just could not take it in that we didn't have television we didn't even have radio no, no in those days so there's been a, a great deal of change I mean now we just naturally put our washing mm. in the machine and press a button and it's done but I mean, in those days it used to take all day mm. to light the copper and get the mangle out the mangle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah. put the blue bag in and oh, yeah. do the starch oh, in yeah. And yeah. they all day <laughs> yeah. now of course we, we take so much for granted yeah. in medical services as well we, I know we moan yeah. about that but it saved my life a couple of times and uh, you know there weren't Keyhole surgery or anything like. I mean, I had my appendix out and I've got a scar like yes, this, you yes, know. Yes. Now, mm-hmm. yeah, me Yeah, do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so there's been a lot of advances in in that direction. I remember the first heart was oh. in Barnardia. Yeah. So, um, and I've lived now under five monarchs. Um, um, yeah, we had a f- our first television to watch the queen's coronation mm-hmm. which was a little 9 inch pie yeah that's about it, really. I'm nothing. I've never done anything special, so i have nothing special. So I don't know why you're all making a fuss of me. Well,
5: oh. you deserve it.
8: Yeah, you deserve it, Hilda. Has anybody else got to any questions? No, yeah.
5: yeah.
0: What's and the secret of living to 100? I think it's
5: sherry. in the jeans. <laughs> <genes. in> <laughs>
11: yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I think it's. Yeah. It, I think it's
11: important to keep your mind occupied. Yeah. 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 Um, yes. Yes. yeah. It's, it's very easy oh, yeah. to want to you just go sit go to go at go home go and do nothing, and I think this club oh, keeps God. me alive.
6: How many brothers and sisters
10: did you have? None. Uh, no. Right. Okay. No. So, my yeah. mother was very ill know? after was I was born, right. and she
11: couldn't have too. any more children. Mm. Mm. So the, my first six months, my grandma brought me up. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
5: Okay.
1: A, it's, it's, what did you do in the
11: war? Yeah. What did I do in the war? Mm. Um, well, I worked at a coach builder's actually, but they, it was taken over to produce uh, aeroplane parts so I worked there yeah. during the war I was during the Blitz um, I tried to get to work after the Blitz And get there for birthing, timbers And goodness knows what, you know uh, and we had a piece of the council house through the window and oh, <laughs> things like that. Uh, we had all the rushing in of course. And, uh, you stayed in
1: Coventry.
11: Sorry.
6: You stayed in Coventry.
11: Yes.
6: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
11: Yes. Yeah. Oh, I, I joined the um, fire service.
6: Oh uh, wow!
11: Yeah.
5: How, so you say you went dancing
11: in the evening Yeah How did you meet
5: your husband? Mm. Ah, well actually I knew him when he was
11: 12 Oh, okay. yeah. yeah And um, we, we didn't live far from one another um, and he was still in short trousers. Ah. <laughs> the boys didn't wear well trousers until they were 14. And then he, strangely enough, I got engaged to she's a uh, fellow in the Air Force, which I didn't marry him in the end, but did get engaged to And my husband got married because he, co- he was called up on the first day of the war and he married a very lovely school friend of mine and uh, she died
8: Ah.
11: Uh, they were only married for 18 months and he was out in the Far East So they didn't have any marriage at all, really. And then I went dancing, and met of a dance. Uh
1: Lovely. That's nice. Uh He
11: said he only picked me because I only lived around the
5: corner. (laughs) 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 Second best, (laughs) mate.
6: So,
11: all the very best to you. Yes, Hilda. Thank you very much. It's only this club
6: that
1: keeps me
11: going. Good. It is because I look forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's the go go only day you. I'll get out, as it's all going to i rely on it. So, raise your glasses to Hilda. We're enjoy
6: looking forward to next time's birthday.
1: Hilda. Thank you
0: very much. Hello. I speak this when we have the Lord and Lady. May I I'm I speak to the Lord Mayor. How do you feel about I'm very now?
2: overjoyed and I'm very delighted that we were invited to pay some happy birthday to Hilda. And she's done very well, 102 years. And it is a very rare occasion for us. And after we got invested as Lord, Mayor and Lady, this is our uh, event where we would like uh, to have come anyway and it was at a short notice but we still came and we have joined the celebration and we thank the organizer and other ladies here
0: and uh, gentlemen for having invited us. Excellent. Thank you very much, Lord Mayor. It's a lovely event, isn't it? No, that's great. Party then? Helen. Oh, yes, I
3: have indeed. I wasn't expecting it. I certainly wasn't expecting to see the
0: Lord and Lady Mary. Yes, yes. so what birthday present did he get from them? Uh, a very nice um, picture um, frame uh, and some chocolates. Yes. Eva, so, so did you enjoy the party?
5: Yes, it was a lovely morning. Had a lovely, um, lovely time celebrating.
0: Thank you, and that's all from the party to celebrate Hilda Hill's 102nd birthday at the Monday Club. Bye for now. With our congratulations and best wishes to Hilda for
2: this fantastic birthday, we end this week's programme. And so with that, it's goodbye from the Outlook team and from me, Nigel Hewin, until next week.